When I first started telling jokes, I made $25 a night. The first year in comedy, I made $3,000. Second year, I made $5,500. The third year, I made about $7,200. I became homeless. You make three, five, and seven, 12, 13, $15,000 in three years. That's how you get homeless. That's why that lady was out here, Miss Deborah, tough feeding homeless people, because I was one of them. I lived in a car for three years because I wasn't making enough money. But guess what? I kept telling them $25 jokes till they started paying me $250 a night. And I kept telling them $250 jokes till they started making me, started paying me $25,000 a night. I kept telling them $25,000 jokes till they started paying me $75,000 a night. Then I told them jokes for $75,000, then they started paying me $100 a quarter a night. Then I kept telling them, they done paid me a half million dollars for these jokes. Without the kings of comedy, we made $58 million in one year. You know what we did? We told jokes. Them the same $25 jokes. They ain't nothing but English. <laughs> ain't wasn't like I was doing them in Spanish or no like that. I was doing the same funk jokes for $25. I just kept repetition, repetition, over and over and over. I turned them jokes into an empire. I turned them jokes into a lifestyle beyond my wildest dreams. I turned them jokes into funds. My grandkids ain't got to worry about nothing. I done put up so much with them $25 jokes. You, you are sitting on an empire. You are worth millions. That's how you become a millionaire. You don't try to think of a million. You just do this $10 thing you got over and over and over. You're sitting on money, man. That's how you get rich. Quit trying to figure out how to make a million. Take something, a $10 idea, and just do it and do it and keep praying about it. Keep asking God to show you the next level. Keep asking God for strength when it looked like you ain't going to make it. When I was homeless, it looked like I wasn't going to make it. But I kept praying about it. Kept asking God to come get me. I kept leaning on my mama. Man, she said, he didn't bring you this far to leave you. I kept hearing her say that. You know, I could have gave up a long time ago, but I, did, I never gave up. I just kept fighting. God is going to come through and do what he say he going to do, but you got to give him something to work with. If you do that, God will change your whole life. If you, I dare you to try it. I dare you to take your gift and do it over and over and over. Watch what he do. The Bible says your gift will make room for you and put you in the presence of great men. Don't say nothing about your passion or your education. Your gift. If you do that, God will change your life. Thank you all for coming. Fellow teammates, welcome to another episode of the Move Swiftly podcast. I am your host, Aswan Crookshank, the founder of Gym 44 Recruiting and author of Swiftly, Your Guide to Innovative Teamwork. 
Teammates, last week I gave you guys something very, very important to think about. In last week's episode, I closed by asking you guys, what are people going to say at your funeral? Now, I did not ask you that to to make it so you're depressed. (laughs) I didn't ask that question so you'd start thinking that something was going to happen to you or, or so that you would, be de- uh, you would have anxiety, you'd be worried or anything like that. that. That wasn't my intent when I closed that episode like that. All right. I asked that so you guys could start living now and understand that tomorrow is not promised. And, and also come to an understanding, a further understanding, that it's how you interact and how you treat people, the kind of integrity you have. All right. Tomorrow is not promise. Tomorrow is not promise. Today. What kind of mark are you leaving today? That's why I posed that question. All right. So today's discussion, I'm going to further elaborate on my point. All right. I'm, I'm going to attempt to get you guys understanding that you have got to leave your mark today. It's all about the way you treat people. And the way I plan on doing that is to tell you guys an ex- about an experience that I've had, that I had in one of the many funerals I've attended. And trust, listen, trust me when I tell you many funerals. I am 31 years old. I'm in my early 30s and I have yet to attend a wedding. No lie. All right, I've attended way more funerals than weddings. Therefore, I'm hopefully, hopefully the next 31 years will be, will be more weddings than funerals. But at the moment, that's the way it is. Now, I was at my, it was at my grandmother's, my grandmother, Granny Nina, my grandmother on my mother's side. It was at her funeral that, you know, it was a, it was a beautiful service. And it was, it was a sad service because this woman was loved, truly, truly loved. Granny Nina, Gloria Payne, that was her name. She, she had fought cancer for years. And it slowly, slowly just, you know, took her life. And every time I do events, the, actually the, the Dolphins Cancer Challenge this past year, and, you know, Gloria Payne was on the, the name. Gloria, Miss Gloria Granny Nina. That's what we call it, Granny Nina. And it, I remember it was at her surprise. My mother threw her a surprise 50th birthday party. And, you know, she had so many names when people were singing happy birthday. It was like, happy birthday, mommy, Nina, Gloria, Granny. I mean, just so many people loved this woman that it was truly, truly tragic to see her go. In fact, my sister was pregnant with Jada at the time. And she had just found out she was pregnant with Jada. I was on my way to Stony Brook, which was my dream school. And the, the, the family was in transition. And... It was one of those moments in family history where we were all together. Now, the first person that came up and spoke at my grandmother's funeral was my grandfather, Grandpa Thomas, Papa Thomas, Papa Thomas, who is my mother's father. And he gets up there, the first, like I say, he's the first person that spoke. He gets up there and he goes, look, she was my friend. She was my friend. And he spoke such beautiful words about my grandmother. Beautiful words. All right. Now, what you, got, what you guys have to understand is Grandpa Thomas was her ex-husband. 
All right, this was her ex-husband. And he said that right in front of the, the other husbands, the ones that, the, that she was with after him, the, the men that she's married after him. Let's think about that for a second, because here, here's what happened. The, the, the funeral, my, my uncle, Uncle Dennis, was the one who pretty much made all of the, the arrangements for the funeral. And he was the one that got everything organized and, you know, just making sure everything happened. And it was a real tough time for him. And I applaud him 100% for doing that, because I know how difficult that must have been on him. And towards the end of the service one of his co-workers came up and spoke. One of his co-workers came up and spoke. And this is what I want you guys, I want you guys to really pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say. I want you to think about your life as I'm getting ready to tell you this. One of his co-workers came up and spoke. And he's up there and he's speaking. He's telling them about how he's like, man, you know, I worked with Dennis at the airport. And there were so many times where Dennis would come and tell me to, to meet his mom. And I never got a chance to meet her. But, you know, I'm happy to be here. And he gave... He, he spoke about it, and he, he was talking. This is what he said. He said, I never met this woman. I never met Gloria, Mommy Nina. I never met her. But for the first person at your funeral to come up and talk, to be your ex-husband, that says something. And it's funny because everyone started laughing a little bit because he posed the question to everyone. He goes, you know, we all have exes. We all have people that we've been with, and, you know, we've... we've divorced or broken up with, whatever it is, I don't know how many of them, (laughs) I don't know how many of them would be the first ones to come up and speak at our funerals. (laughs) And teammates, that is what it is I want you guys to understand. It's how you treat people. Forget about your past. Forget about... You have got to carry yourselves the same way my grandmother did. The same way she did. We're talking about her ex-husband being the first one to come up and speak at her funeral and do it in such a beautiful way. We were all so proud of him. I mean, I saw my family in a light that I have never seen. I, I Probably one of the proudest moments that I've ever had. Ever had as a family, as a whole. Because, yes, we have our fucked up ways and all the shit that we do. But that was pride. That was pure. That was something that I could say, that's my grandma. And I know she's listening in right now. I know she's never left because it's the way she treated people. I'll take it a step further. I'll give you guys a few more examples. Because it, it, her mentality, her, her way of bled, it, it got into my mother. My mother and my grandma like the same mindset. To where you can't kill people like that. Even when they're not breathing, they, their effect on this world is so profound. It's so profound because of the way they carry themselves. And that's what I'm trying to get you guys to get to. Here's an example. When I was growing up, my mother found me two tutors. Two tutors, all right? The first one, I was in middle school and I was struggling with Spanish. And we happened to have a, a neighbor that had just moved in. And they were from Spain, I believe. Anthony. His name was Anthony, and they were from Spain. And, you know, my mother was being nice, and she connected with the neighbors, and she set it up to where I can go to them on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, one of those nights during the week, and just go over all my Spanish work. <laughs> you know, I, I, I go, she gets home one day, she's like, look, I found your Spanish student. You're going and seeing them. 
You know, just caring, smart things, caring. If, if I'm struggling in a certain subject, she goes and she, she hooks that up. Now, the second one was a little more interesting. The second one was way, had a much bigger effect, much larger effect on me. Because this was a family friend. And this, it was a different subject. It was a subject that I really couldn't stand. I, could, I was terrible in math. And this is when I got to high school. So she found me the Spanish tutor when I was in middle school. And then she found me a math tutor when I got to high school. And, you know, my grades were just horrible back then. And the, the tutor that she found, his name was Elry. And Elry's mother, Claudia, is a, is a family, is a friend of the family. And, you know, we'd always see them and, you know, for events. And they'd come to the house and party and do all these things. But her son, Elry, was a math teacher. I believe now he's a principal at the school. But he was a math teacher. And again, mother comes home, same time, he goes, hey, look, boy, I got you a math tutor. His name is Elry, and she's, we go hook it up. You're going to go see him, you're going to go see him, and you're going to get your math straight. <laughs> there it is, my mother again, hooking it up. And, you know, me and Elry, from that point, we've had an incredible relationship. I, I loved Elry because he wasn't like a typical math teacher. He was, he was, a, he was a brother. You know, he, he's, ta- he's talking to me like, you know, one of my boys. He, he was one of those black guys that made math and made learning cool. He goes, yo, holla at the, I'll give you an example. He goes, holla at five times X plus the minus. Now, what you do with that? <laughs> he, would, he would use a lot of hip-hop lingo as he was teaching me math. And I thought that was so freaking awesome, man. I, I, I hope he gets a chance to hear this, but that was great. Now, I remember there was a time after we, were, after we had done our tutoring session that Elry dropped me home. And at the time, Elry was engaged. He was getting married in a few months. So he was really young, a young couple, him and his wife, or him and his now wife were a young couple getting ready to start a family. And they were looking for guidance. And teammates, this is where, this is where things get a little serious. They were looking for guidance. It was a time in their life where they looked at my mother and my father and my family, and they, they, they probably didn't say it verbally, but they had it in their head, you know, what do they do? What are the, the ways you guys work? How can we build a community? And jot this down, jot this down before I go any further. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, if I cannot do great things, I could do small things in a great way. Make sure you jot that down. I'm going to give you guys some time to jot it down before I get into the, the next part of this, this discussion. If I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. Because a couple years later, when Elry and his wife came to the house, they came to the house, I believe it was for Thanksgiving. And my entire family's there, you know, all the family from New York, the same one, Uncle Dennis, the same ones. A lot of the people that were at Granny Nina's funeral were at the house for this Thanksgiving. And Elry and his wife really didn't know these people. Elry <laughs> and his wife, you know, they came to support and, and, you know, enjoy the food and all that. But they really, they were pretty kind of strangers. They were strangers to my family in New York. They knew me, knew my mother, but, you know, at the end of the day, they just kind of were there. And right before, I'm talking about right before we were about to eat and we were about to bless the food, my mother just points at Elry's wife. I, I don't even know her name. <laughs> but my mother points at Elry's wife. She goes, hey, hey, look, yo. It's your time. Go ahead. Do your thing. 
And Ellery's wife just starts singing. Amazing grace. And everyone just, especially me, I'm just looking. I'm like, damn. She can blow. <laughs> she can sing. She has a dream of singing. So in my mind, you got this tutor. You got this math whiz, this guy that's, that's coming up. He's going to be a principal. And my mother points out the fact that she can sing. And she goes, it's your time. If you're serious about making it, you, you sing right now on the spot. Just completely took her off guard. Small things in a great way. Right, teammates? Now, she can't do, now my mother can't do great things, but those small things in a great way. Those small things, who knows? Who knows what that little thing could do for her? You see how it affected me, right? You see how it affected me? Who knows what that little thing can do for her confidence? The kind, of, the kind of mother she's going to become. So teammates, I, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. I'm begging you that you start to live your life in a way where you're doing those small things in a great way. Now, I know, what, I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you guys are saying, probably saying in your head right now. You're saying, well, what if I get tired? Well, what, what if I don't, I don't get appreciated? Because I've dealt with the same thing. There's tons of things I've done for people, I've tried to do for people, and they want nothing to do with me. So you, you get tired and all that, and you, know, you don't feel like doing good deeds anymore. You know, I understand it 100%. And I'm going to give you a, a Bible verse. I'm going to give you a Bible verse to jot down. It's Galatians 6.9. It says, do not grow weary in doing good, doing good, for in the proper time you will see a harvest. Galatians 6.9. Do not become weary in doing good work, for in the proper time you will see a harvest. And I'll close with this. When you make it a habit, like myself, to do to see the good in people no matter what, you will not have to worry about all the people that ignore you and blow you off. I understand it's going to hurt in a moment. Trust me. And you guys have listened to me on this, on this podcast over and over talk about the rejection and the, the things that have hurt me in the past when I've tried to, to do something good for someone. You will see a harvest. You will see a harvest when you understand I'm doing good because one day, one day, there are going to be people who speak at my funeral that are going to have great things to say. They're going to be people. There's going to be a community. There's going to be a community. There's going to be something I did with my time. I didn't treat people any kind of way. I focused and I listened. And I did everything I could. Because I know my time is limited here. And I'm not going to waste time holding grudges with people in the past, from the past. I'm going to do everything in my power. Everything in my power to do the small things great. Just like my mother did for, for Elry's wife. Right? Because there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time where you're no longer here. And the only thing you have is what you left behind. Alright, teammates? So think about that. Continue to move swiftly. And we will talk more soon. I believe he wanted me to preach this because... You don't have to backslide to quit the way we think of backsliding. It may not be the alluring temptation of lust and degradation that makes you drop your hands. 
It can be to just get tired. Just get tired. You ever got tired? Just get tired and quit. You know, I found out something about tired. It's funny. Tired will always rain if it goes unchallenged. Sometimes you have to challenge tired. I'm not saying you ought not go to bed and normal stuff, things got sense. I'm not talking about the tired that sleep will fix. I'm talking about being weary and well-doing. I'm talking about how you can show up and still be missing. I'm talking about how you can be there and not be present. And people don't know that in your heart, like John Mark, you're gone. And when you go away, other people get what should have been yours. They step in and they, they receive what bow rights should have been yours. And then what you have to do, this is what you have to do. Either you lie to yourself and get bitter and blame everybody for your own weaknesses or you strengthen yourself. The, the reason I said tired reigns when it goes unchallenged is because when I started working out, the first sign of not being fit is how tired you get. But if you keep... If you keep working out, the point that used to wear you out, you'll push right past it. It doesn't, it doesn't even bother you anymore. The more you get in shape, the more you can run and you won't even get winded where you used to get winded because you didn't fit. You can tell you're fit by your, your speed of exhaustion. The more you are able to endure, the more you are fit for the fight. This has been an awesome night, isn't it, everyone? This one. How many of you like Negro spirituals? An old black lady down south showed me something about the Negro spirituals, and I want to share it with you. Uh, you know, the black folk down south had more sense by accident than some of us have on purpose. You know what I mean? You didn't hear what I said. I heard an old black lady say, Son, if the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. Uh-huh, think about that for a minute. But did you know, she said to me, did you know all, just about all Negro spirituals are written on the black notes of the piano? <laughs> this is absolutely true. You can go home tonight and play almost any Negro spiritual, just play the black notes on the piano. You look skeptical. Now, you can't see it out there, but I want you to watch. Watch. There are five black notes on the piano. Those same five black notes just keep recurring. And you can go home tonight and play almost any Negro spiritual. Just play the black notes. Watch. You know that? Every time I feel the spirit, just black notes. Watch this. 
That's because the slaves didn't come to America with do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, di, do. That's somebody else's scale, okay? All they had in their musical scale were those five black notes. We know it in music as the pentatonic scale. And they built the power and pathos of the Negro spiritual on five notes. When you study music, you also come across what are known as white spirituals. Did you know that? And they are white composers who work with those, that scale. In early America, they used to call this the slave scale. And I'm going to play for you what some musicologists think is the most famous white spiritual built on the slave scale or just the black notes. Anybody tonight know who wrote that song? I heard it, a man by the name of John Newton. But do you know what John Newton did before he became a Christian? He was the captain of a slave ship. And many believe heard this melody that sounds very much like a West African sorrow chant and wrote the words, amazing grace, and set his words to a slave. Melody. I looked up that song. I believe God wanted that song written just the way it was written, just so that we would be reminded that as Christians, whether black or white, free or bond, in his eyes, we're all connected. We are connected. And we are connected by God's amazing grace. We are connected by God's amazing grace. Woo! I looked up that song in the Library of Congress. I looked up, I went to the Library of Congress, I looked up that song, and wherever you see it authentically printed, you know what it says? Words, John Newton, melody unknown. Tell the Lord, when I get to heaven, I want to meet Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but boy, I want to meet that slave called unknown. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I recorded that song the way I hear it when I sing it. I still hear the sounds of the slave ships in the water. I want to sing it for you the way John Newton probably first heard it coming up out of the belly of the ship. Listen. Mm-hmm. 
And I know he watches. 
loose by And I know he watches I know he watches I know he watches me I, I sing Because I'm happy I sing He watches me. He watches me.